Thanks for gathering as the Lord's people this Lord's Day. Uh, I haven't been here behind in this role teaching for uh, several weeks now. Every summer I take a, a pause be, uh, just to get rest from the weekly role of teaching and to do preparation for the ministry year to come. Uh, it's how does the Lord want to guide us and minister to us through his word, which is what this text uh, out, of, out of several in the Bible, say, preach the word. And so I'm excited to be back with you. I am so thankful for the gifting of the people in this church, uh, Greg and Casey, and even just to see Ole Larson and his ministry grow over the years that he's been with us. It's just so fun to see as his brother and as part of this church family. I'm excited for us as we look to this new ministry year kind of kicking off. We're going to take a We've got about one more week left of 2 Timothy. We're going to take a break in the pastoral letters before we get to Titus. And we're actually going to do, I'm going to lead us through a series specifically on the church, which is a crisis. I think it's fair to say there is a spiritual pandemic taking place regarding the nature, the role, the authority, the, the practice of the local church. And Christ himself said, I will build my church. And I feel like in this season, in light of all that we've gone through in the last 18 months as Christians, it is essential that we talk about that. We draw from God's word as a whole and we listen to what he would want to guide and instruct us in that regard. After that, we will go back and finish the short little book of Titus. And then in the new year, we will do a series through the Ten Commandments. And when we will do a historical book in the Old Testament as well. Again, we, we try to be preaching the whole counsel of God's word. So after a season in the New Testament, then we will go to the Old Testament. Because as Greg recently said, all scripture is God-breathed. And that includes both of the Testaments. I mentioned just a minute ago that the church is facing some difficult days. And that, that, that is just true. Uh, statistically, churches like ours are down 25% in attendance, meaning many, many people who just had stopped making church regular practice, were not serious about their Christian walk or the discipleship, have just completely disengaged from local church. And that's affected ministry, that's affected individual families in a serious way. And that's not only something that we need to talk about in the forthcoming series, but it's something that this text even addresses this text gives direction to us in this particular moment, and we need to hear that today. So let me pray and ask the Lord, to whom we just sang, to minister now to us through his word. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and our minds. As we just sang, Lord, speak, O Lord. We may hear your word, believe your truth, and direct our lives in accordance. Father, thank you that your spirit didn't just minister at the forming of your written word, but ministers through it and in us at the same time. So, Father, may your spirit do his work in us now as we proclaim your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to be fair, you might read the first few words that Kyle read in verse 1 of 2 Timothy 4, and think, really, this isn't about you. This isn't about the church as a whole. This is talking to pastors. And to be fair, there's some truth to that. 
The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. And we don't see it in the English, you. The you could be singular or plural, but in the Greek it is clear. It's not y'all, Texas style. It's you, Timothy. So you may think verse 1 is not talking to you. And to be fair, that's accurate. But it is talking about you. It's talking about you because God is commanding. In this case, Pastor Timothy, in our case, your pastor elders, to pastor you. And if you think it's just kind of like, hey, hey do your job well, like look at verse 1. I charge you, and if charge didn't feel presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, if the presence of God and of Christ Jesus didn't scare you, then let me qualify who Jesus Christ is. He's the judge of the living and the dead. I remember not feeling too nervous about my wedding day until my wedding day. And I remember that feeling of ridiculous sweating coming over my face as I'm standing there, not because I didn't want to marry the woman I've been married to now for over 22 years, but because I felt the gravity of what we were entering into. Like it wasn't just a small thing. Standing before us were friends and family. Sitting around us were people who had invested in us for years. And when that service started, I'm telling you, I felt the gravity of what I was entering into. Now, if that's just with like loving family and friends around, feel this one. Dear Pastor Elder, you are charged, you are commanded, you are assigned in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who, by the way, is the judge of not just people living now, but even the dead, to do your job. Yes, sir, just doesn't seem like it even cuts it. That's a charge. So, so here, this congregation, your spiritual leaders are commanded to shepherd you, to pastor you, to lead you. So that might not be talking to you, but it sure is talking about you. With Christ standing over them as the judge. Your pastors are commanded to obey the king who will hold them accountable in regard to you. That's what Paul is charging Timothy, and that's what this text charges us. And even as we listen to this command to pastor elders, not only does it talk about us in regard to the congregation as a whole, it certainly talks about the 10 men right now who are serving as pastor elders who are part of this church. It's even talking to potential and future pastor elders who might be here among us right now. Some 13, 14-year-old boy who one day, Lord, may raise up to serve as a pastor elder in this church of their own. So it's not to you, but it's about you. And so let's listen to what Paul says. If I were to summarize what he says in verses 1 and 2, and then even verses 5 and 8, I would say that God expects five things from spiritual leaders in his church. He expects them to be five things. And let me, let me go through those with you right from this text. The first comes from the very beginning of verse 2. Spiritual leaders are to be scripture-based. See what Paul says, preach the word. The pastor elder is supposed to communicate to the people what God wants them to hear. That's why most of the time when we 
proclaim from this pulpit, we do so f- straight from the word. We'll, we'll stop like I'm about to do in just two weeks and we'll say, hey, let, let's address some crises or issues facing us and, and we'll take it from several places in the Bible, kind of put it together so we can hear collectively what Scripture says on a topic. But most of the time, we don't have to be creative. What do we talk about this week? 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. What do we talk about next week? 2 Timothy 9 and following. Like, it's pretty clear. Lord, you tell us, you address in us and for us what you want us to hear. And we have to be faithful not only to hopefully give it appropriately, but to receive it just as well. Meaning, just so you realize that this act on Sunday morning isn't just a one-man show. It isn't just my job to appropriately give it, though that's part of it. It actually is all of our jobs to appropriately receive. So this certainly means preaching on Sunday morning. Think of the, if you've ever traveled at all to Europe, seen some of those old Protestant churches, you may have noticed that some of those pulpits were elevated regularly on the side. There'd be a little tiny staircase with a door behind it that locks, and maybe about eight to ten feet up would be this platform from which the pastor would preach. And part of that was not so that the pastor could look down on the people, so that there was this experience of thus saith the Lord from above. It kind of put it into three dimensions, that you felt this weight, that you're forced to kind of look up as if you're looking to your creator when you hear his word proclaimed. The word means something like that, that we take the Bible seriously in our ministry of our church, preaching and teaching. I think it also refers to something like counseling and discipling. And when I say that, I almost want to say it's not even just the pastors and elders who do this, but Ephesians 4.12, right? The pastors and teachers are assigned to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's something that the whole body of Christ does as a ministering agent in this community. We're teaching one another. We're meeting with one another. Now, there are several contemporary churches in our midst who are trying to minimize the preached word. Some of that is them trying to be less monologue and more dialogue. They're trying to be more relational, be more authentic. And I understand the pressure to try to be accessible and understandable. But there is an unavoidable reality that we are listening to what the Lord says. Thus saith the Lord. You almost feel like i got to say that in King James. Saith. I'll probably never say saith again for the next month. But I say that phrase, I say King James on you. Thus saith the Lord. Christianity is also not just information gathering. And that, brothers and sisters, that can be such a default of this church. Like the rest of our American evangelical tradition, we just love learning and gathering information. We just do. We just love to be knowledgeable Christians. And the risk of that is we become very educated Pharisees if we're not careful that the goal is not just all this knowledge and self-righteousness and pride, but wisdom. That I love God more, that I love neighbor more, and I love one another more. That is Bible knowledge. It's expressed in loving, not just in learning. So when we hear this command to preach the word, let's see it in its applicable nature, what God is wanting us to do. Preaching should be personal and directive, straight from God's word, and it should be essential in our life and our ministry. That's the first 
command God gives to spiritual leaders in the church. Here's the second. God expects spiritual leaders of a church to be prepared. Look what he says early on in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Ministry will happen sometimes when you're ready, and ministry happens when you're not. Nobody. I have yet to meet anybody that was like, I was totally ready for COVID. Already had my mask in my pocket. Ready to go. No problem. Nobody was. Do you think ministry dropped at that moment? It actually picked up. It actually got more intense. There was more need. There was, there was more hurting. And now, for health reasons and even divisions for political reasons, we were even further separated from one another. So Paul is saying, be ready in season, out of season. Later in verse 5, he says, be sober-minded. There's that good, that good phrase that simply means like you're, you're thinking, you're, you're working out a plan, you're strategic, you're organized, you're ready to go. Ministry will sometimes happen formally, sometimes organically. It'll happen in good times and in difficult times. Shepherds, be ready. Be ready for either of those. Here's a third. God expects the spiritual leaders of a church to be a shepherd. Now, we see that in that last part of verse 2, where, where Paul gives three things you're supposed to do. Not just preach the word, not just be ready in season, out of season, but reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Now, you don't see this in the English, but in the Greek, they actually rhyme. He's trying to list all three as this unity. Maybe we could do some alliteration, and instead of, instead of reprove, rebuke, exhort, we could say correct, confront, and comfort. At least we're getting a little closer to the, 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 the play on words that Paul is trying to do. Now, some of these we love. Hey, hey, we love the comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need comfort. We don't like the correct. And we're probably not a big fan of confront. Think about that. Of those three, only one of them is the one we like. Like we're supposed to be regularly correcting and confronting people in the body for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of their souls. Hey, 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 good luck with that. You go ahead and live that way. Rather than say, brother, sister, what are you doing? Then you know it's love. Then you know it's love when you can be firm on what is true and what is right. Notice how Paul ends that. And I wish he didn't put the word complete there because that makes it sound impossible. How do you do this? With complete patience. Couldn't he have just said partial patience? Couldn't I be patient to a point? With complete patience and teaching. You know who that sounds like? That sounds like Jesus. Jesus would have just absolutely standing on what is right and true, would have spoken what is true, but he as the Gospel of John so clearly describes, he would have done it with grace. He understood sin and evil and temptation. He understood our enslavement to it. He didn't take personal offense, as you and I just so easily do. He was gracious. See, that's a shepherd. They know the Word, and they 
fitted into the lives and situations of their people. And, and let me in, in, encourage this, especially kind of as a, a step moving beyond COVID and into returning to reality in ministry. We, we, we've lost the ability. We have just the social interaction. It's been thwarted in this season. It just has. It's just harder to know and harder to connect. And let me just tell you something about your pastor elders. Let me even tell you something about me specifically. I regularly hear people say, oh, I'm so sorry to bother you. I know you're so busy. I'm so sorry to bother you. Listen, you're supposed to bother me. And by the way, bother is not the right word for it. Like if I'm, if I'm doing what this text is commanding, then I am lovingly and willingly spending as much time with people as I can. In fact, before you fail, sorry to bother you, say, hey, it's not a bother. Do you know who's standing behind me? The judge of the living and the dead. Who's checking my calendar and making sure that I'm a shepherd. So no need to preface anymore. I bet, I seriously, I bet nine out of ten times when I connect with somebody, I hear that statement. Say it no more. We will do public flogging if you say it again. Okay, I'm just kidding about that. Remember that complete patience? I forgot that line. You're not a bother. You're not an interruption. You are the sheep of Christ. And he has selected, at least in this particular office, and currently 10 brothers in Christ to be your under-shepherds. And they have time for you. They want to pray for you. They want to meet with you. They want to spend time with you. They want to sit in an office. They will sit in your home. They want to be with you. Let them be your shepherds. In fact, they're commanded to. And they do so willingly. Here's the fourth one. God expects a spiritual leader of a church to be willing to suffer. You don't see that in the job description. Willing to preach once a Sunday. Attend staff meetings. Endure physical beatings. It doesn't say that in their job description. Maybe we should start with verse 5 in seminaries. As for you, always be sober-minded, comma. Endure suffering, comma. That's right. Pastors should expect difficulty, criticism, disappointment, and warfare. How foolish would it be for a soldier to go into war and find out that they're shooting... He's surprised that they're shooting. They're shooting at me. You're a soldier. We gave you a gun. What do you expect to happen? In the same way, somebody serving in the office of pastor elder should not be surprised when they're suffering. If I were to verses 6 through 8 where Paul takes it. Because after he talks about this enduring of suffering and and the last expectation of spiritual leaders regarding the gospel, he says this in verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That's kind of Bible language for say, I'm literally being melted in the work of the gospel. And the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then then he goes all heavenly on us. And I think you have to because you're all, it started with Jesus as the judge of the living and the dead. And it has to end with Jesus as the righteous judge who will ultimately say, well done, good and faithful servant. He goes in verse 8, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only 
to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who, that is, who were looking, that was their plumb line. Not just, not just the earthly things or pats on the back. Their plumb line is the judge of the living and the dead. Laura and I got to go to Colorado Springs over a month ago, and uh, we, we got to be in this area that's, I'd never even been there. I'm not even sure I even heard of this place called the Garden of the Gods is what it called. It is gorgeous. And we got to be there for a few days. We were at this pastor's retreat. They were probably 40-ish, 35, 40 pastors and their spouses there, all of whom were from the E-Free Church, our denomination. And they were from several different spots in this country. And we, we had a speaker that was trying to invest. It was a renewal retreat. And it was interesting. The people there clearly needed renewal. You, you would have expected this to be, hey, we're in this gorgeous nature. And you could just see people, like they were exhausted. They came in broken. And we would have our messages and we'd break up into small groups. And I think our group had five or six couples in ours. And the third day, the last day, there was a, 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 a pastor in our cohort, and we were talking, and we'd become friends, and we're becoming real, and we're sharing. And literally, that, that the morning of that last day, he shared how actually I've all, I just resigned from my church like two weeks ago. And the moment he said that, his sweet wife, who was sitting next to him, who was holding back tears most of the three days, just let loose and was bawling. And my wife and a couple other Ladies just wrapped their arms around this sweet sister, and it wasn't just a little tear. It was like sobbing because they were fried. This pastor, a Midwestern pastor, said he'd given his resignation two weeks previous, and the elder board said, give it three weeks. Aren't you, aren't you going to a renewal thing? Maybe that'll help. Just give it a few more weeks. And so he was giving it more time, and I haven't, I think my wife may have connected with his wife, but I haven't yet check back in with him to see where he's at. I need to do that. It's in the job description, pastor, elders, present or future. It says endure suffering. It's just good for your ears to hear, congregation, of what the Lord expects from your leaders. Last thing, Paul says this, God expects Spiritual leaders of a church, finally, end of verse 5, to be gospel-centered. Now, Paul you says, do the work of an evangelist. I think when you and I hear evangelist, we think of like a TV evangelist or tent meeting, but the New Testament word there is, do the work of gospel. Do gospel work. And then he even explains it, comma, fulfill your ministry. Like, your ministry is gospel work. Proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the overall assignment of ministry. We should introduce people, we should instruct people, and we should ground people in the personal work of Jesus. Whether they're young, some of you young kids who are going to be sitting through a new city catechism coming up, or, or in your Sunday school class, you're just learning about this Christian faith. Most of what you've seen is because you sit in here and see somebody yell with a Bible in their hand, right? Or sing some songs, or see your mom and dad pray. And you're just learning it from our most senior saints who for decades have been worshiping and serving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It never stops. So if I were to summarize what, what, what Paul is charging in Timothy, it would be this. And specifically in regard to you, brothers and sisters, 
Let the spiritual leaders assigned to you, congregation, by our Lord, serve as shepherds over you. Like, will you let them be your shepherds? Now, fair enough, the text is more talking to the pastor elder, but it certainly applies to you. Will you acknowledge their placement over you to serve you as by the Lord, and will you respond appropriately? See, if you thought this text wasn't talking about you, you'll notice I, I haven't even talked about verses 3 and 4. It's kind of like you get surrounded in this text, because verses 3 and 4 is talking about people in the congregation. So Paul starts with verses 1 and Two, then he jumps through five through eight, and he's kind of surrounded. He's bulked up this wall of pastors and elders, so then he can look and talk to the people for a second in verses three and four. Here's what Paul says in three and four. Tell me if you've seen this, or you've even been tempted to experience the Christian life this way. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul describes these so-called Christians in this way. Notice he doesn't call them saints like he likes to talk about other people. He says the time is coming when people will. Now, clearly he's talking about people who are connected and attending in some capacity local church, but he doesn't call them believers. I wonder if that's intentional. That's an argument from silence. I just wonder. He describes these so-called Christians as those who want to suit their own passions, self-betterment, entertainment, that they don't take the truth seriously, and then they just simply wander away. Examples today abound of preachers and teachers, whether it's in churches or even online offering winsome and creative teachings that tickle the ears of those who want to improve their lives and be more fulfilled. They offer wealth and happiness through faith. They present theories or discoveries that prove the Bible is false or in serious need of reinterpretation, like we've never heard that before. Sensational religious experiences they love to offer, like someone who died and went to heaven again, and here's the insights that you need to hear. Brothers and sisters, stay away from such people and such falsehoods. A former teacher of mine and an author on a commentary on this text said this. I'm quoting him. Bob Yarborough from St. Louis said these words. North America and other relatively affluent regions with their consumerist and often narcissistic social orders decreasing biblical literacy and lack of appetite for features of the gospel are prime venues for such activity. Let me translate what my former teacher said. America is ripe. The ground is already tilled. The fertilizer has been laid down. The seeds are already planted and it's tempting to eat that food. And Paul would say, that is not for you. So what does this section of God's word say to us today uh, by way of response? Two, thing, two things seem to be an application that we can take. Here they are. The first would be this. The office of pastor elder is a sacred duty in the church. 
I think James 3.1 is accurate. It came to mind today as, or this week as I was looking at this text. Listen to what James says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. No duh. The judge of the living and the dead. And I can say, and I want to say this to you, being at this church now for just over seven years, I have been so thankful for the pastors and elders who have served in this church body, not even just in present years, but even in years past. This church has been blessed with healthy, serving, gospel-centered pastor elders. And I can say it just a personal experience even recently that we had two longtime elders, terms end and according to the bylaws, roll off. And I have to tell you, it made me a little nervous when Brian Ott and Ed Kipp rolled off the elder board just this past summer. It got me a little scared because I have yet to serve in this church without those two brothers being anchors right there in those elder meeting rooms. I remember, I think it was my second year here, we were wrestling with something difficult. And Ed Kipp, I mean, he can, he can be kind of a quieter guy, probably not going to beat too many people in wrestling. Doesn't seem like he's got, you know, he's not aggressive. We're going to run you over with his dominance. There's a humility and a gentle spirit. And yet I saw him, a fire lit in him. And he said, brothers, are we trusting the Lord in this or not? We just need to trust the Lord. And I just remember I've been cemented from the inside listening to Ed Kip talk. Like, we need to trust the Lord in this. This is not going to be easy. Buck up is what I kept hearing him say. So when he walked out of that elder room for the last time, the end of June, I have to admit as he's walking down the hallway, without him knowing, I was just kind of watching, thinking, Lord, I'm a little nervous going to next month's meeting without Mr. Kip there and Mr. Ott. But again, I'm not trusting in just the pastor elders themselves. I'm trusting in the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Yet it made me aware that we have much to be thankful for in this body. So pray. Pray for your pastor elders and serve them as they are commanded by the Lord to serve you. Hebrews says, don't make it hard on him. What good does that do your soul? That's a good reminder for all of us. Here's the, here's the last takeaway, and it, this really stems from verses 3 and 4. Every Christian is commanded to sit under God's word and the under-shepherds, their pastor elders. And let me tell you what worries me. He, he just by way of, let me tell you what worries me. Christians love to be ministered when they're brokenhearted, but they're not very good at being ministered to when they're hard-hearted. My plain and simple. When, you, when somebody is brokenhearted, I need you. We're, help me. Minister to me. Man, and we're, just, we're good at that. We, are, we loved being comforted. But those other two words, corrected and confronted, that, that, that's hard-hearted talk. And notice, of the three that shepherds are commanded to do, only one of them is to the brokenhearted. Two of those commands are to the hard-hearted. That is, pastors and the pastor elder, they don't have just a priestly ministry, which nurturing and caring, that's part of it. They also have a prophetic ministry, not future telling, foretelling, but forth telling, speaking the truth to the hard hearted. 
People love the comforting, but not the confronting and correcting. So hear this. There's an application from this text. Just as Jesus Christ has assigned your pastors to marry, bury, and carry you and your loved ones when you are brokenhearted, so also has he assigned them to reprove and rebuke you when you are hard-hearted. And you want proof of that? It's just right here in this text. So let me ask you a question. Are you wanting to scratch your itching ears and feed your own passions? Or are you willing to sit under the teaching of God's word and the assigned pastor elders of his church? That's just not a question that Timothy's answering. That's not just a question that the pastor elders of this church are. That's what this text is asking of the congregation. Are you willing to sit under the teaching of God's word and the assigned pastor elders of his church? Not just, please hear this, not just when you're brokenhearted, but maybe, even more importantly, when you're hard of heart. That's what this text this morning, through this text, God is asking you. And we know that his spirit is so completely patient that he will take this teaching and apply it to our lives so that all of us can rightly respond and grow rooted in the gospel. And hear this, even as I preach, and the judge of the living and the dead looks over my shoulder, makes sure I'm preaching faithfully, so too that same judge looks over the shoulder of all his sheep, to see that they are obedient to his lordship. Brothers and sisters, may that be us. I'm going to pray in a minute. I want to remind you and just encourage you as the school year is getting underway and fall schedules to plug into your local church, the midweek connection, even in serving. If you've kind of pulled back in ways, there are just ministry needs that the command to love one another and love neighbor and love God get reflected and even just caring for our children during some of the services, helping out with Awana, serving on Wednesday nights. We, we have needs for that. And I present that to you, not to guilt you, but to say maybe the Lord is, is urging you to be faithful in that way as well. I also want to remind you as, as, we, as you go in this place, be ministering Christians, the saints who do the work of ministry. And even that we collect offering in the back as, as part of what we see is still part of corporate worship. The giving of our time and our talent and our treasure to our Lord. We're going to sing the doxology in a minute, but let me close this time in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you've assigned under shepherds to shepherd us. Thank you that this church has had men willing to serve faithfully and fruitfully for many years. I pray for that pastor in a state nearby who is wrestling with the suffering of ministry that you would care for him and his sweet wife and their family and that whole church body. Father, we pray for our brother, brothers in ministry. We pray for our sister churches and all the struggles going on in this post-COVID, post-election year. That your people, the ones that you are building as your church, would be faithful. Father, be with us now as we leave this place, as we go out, not merely having been fed on your word, but going out as missionaries.
in your world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.